Please, congregation, turn your Bibles this afternoon to the Gospel according to Matthew. We're going to look at three brief passages together in connection with Lord's Day 49 of our Catechism, and the third petition that Christ taught us to pray, namely that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Look, first of all, at Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, and then portions from Matthew 16 and 26 as well. But first, God's word from Matthew 7 at verse 21, where our Lord says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. We're to Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 28. Matthew 16 at verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. And suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me for you are not setting your mind on the things of God but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And then finally, in Matthew 26, Matthew 26 at verse 36, our Lord's Prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Matthew 26 at verse 36, this too is God's holy word. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face. And prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. 
And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. The grass withers and the flower falls, but this word endures forever. Let's turn also in our Forms and Prayers books to Lord's Day 49 of our Catechism, 255, page 255. In the Forms and Prayers books, where we'll make our confession together, reading the question and answer responsibly. Lord's Day 49, Congregation, what does the third petition mean? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven means. Help us and all people to renounce our own wills and without any backtalk to obey your will, for it alone is good. Help everyone to carry out his office and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. This the Church of Christ does believe and confess throughout the world. Dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, Phil Riken begins his commentary on this petition by inviting his readers to imagine a workforce comprised entirely of angels. And not of fallen angels who hate God and who hate his word, but a workforce comprised entirely of perfect angels who always serve God with joyful praise. Imagine congregation having angels on the payroll. It would be every employer's dream, wouldn't it? For there are no slackers among the angelic hosts in heaven. Never do they go on strike or or make their service to God conditional upon certain demands being met. But their service is that of glad submission to every word that proceeds in the mouth of the Father. That's what we find at the variant of Psalm 103, where King David tells us that the angels always do God's bidding and that they rejoice to obey his word. Well, congregation, this is the ideal. This is the picture that the Lord Jesus wanted his disciples to to have in their minds when when he taught them to pray these words of the third petition, that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When they asked him how they ought to pray, Jesus invited them to think upon their Father in heaven. He invited them to, to direct their hearts heavenward. To consider the God who loved them more than anyone else in all the world. And to think about how how in response to his love, they should dedicate themselves to living for him as faithfully and willingly as the angels do in heaven. Of course, this willing service of the angels was as invisible to them as it is to us. But Jesus showed them what this willing service looked like throughout the course of his life, didn't he? Hebrews chapter 5, in fact, gives, in fact, gives us a, a window into the ministry of Christ and, and to his reverential submission to the will of his Father. When the Spirit tells us that in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. 
and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Just like us, boys and girls, Jesus had to learn obedience. But unlike us, Jesus loved the process. Indeed, he himself lived the words of Psalm 1, which we read a few moments ago. Never for a moment did he stand in the way of the sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. Never for a moment did he, did he walk in the counsel of the wicked. But throughout the course of his life, his delight was in the law of the Lord, and on that law he meditated day and night. And Jesus said in John chapter 4 that, that his food was, was to do the will of the Father who sent him. It was his good pleasure to live according to every word that proceeded from the mouth of the Father. That's what he said to Satan as he was tempted in the wilderness, that he should not put the Lord to the test. He should not, not perform those miracles that Satan was telling him to do, but that he should live according to every word that proceeds from the mouth of his Father. And this Jesus did, even to the point of dying on the death. This, boys and girls, was Jesus' resolve throughout the entirety of his life. Even as we just read a few moments ago, this was our Savior's resolve until the very end, when, when he found himself in the Garden of Gethsemane on the eve of his crucifixion, with his face bowed down to the ground, he, he pled with the Father that, that God would let this cup of wrath pass from him. But there, too, Jesus lived this petition, saying, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Before then, saying to his disciples, See, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. And there, especially people of God, we learn what it is for us to join him in praying this petition. To pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven is to pray that, that we would, would follow in our Savior's steps. It's to pray that we would indeed learn from him, that we would come after him by denying ourselves, by, by taking up our crosses in order that we might follow him. As our catechism says, we're praying the third petition that God would help us and all people to, to renounce our own wills and to obey his will, for it alone is good. And so as we seek to unpack this, Lord, they'd like for us to consider three things together this evening, seeing in the first place the priority of this petition, and then secondly the pattern of this petition, and then finally the promise of this petition. To pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven is to pray that we would follow in our Savior's steps, who, who for the joy that was set before him without any backtalk at all, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Our congregation, we need to recognize from the very outset that the burden of this petition rests in the sad reality that God's will is not always done on earth as it is in heaven. For God's will is oftentimes rejected and forgotten. We saw that this morning, didn't we, as King Jeroboam rejected the will of the Lord and erected those golden calves. And now he even rejected the word of the Lord again, refusing to humble himself before that word, even when his sin was called out. 
To be sure, God's will is oftentimes rejected and forgotten. And when we pray this petition, we recognize this sad reality, even in ourselves, that our natural impulse, of course, is to pray the opposite. Our natural impulse is is to live our way rather than God's way. For as our catechism taught us all the way back in Lord's Day 3, the fall and disobedience of our first parents has so poisoned our nature that we are inclined to hate God, to want nothing to do with the will of God. And if you want to turn the back of your Psalter hymnals to question 192 of the Westminster Larger Catechism, I think that Sister Catechism likewise gets the heart of of why this petition is so necessary, as to why this petition needs to be given such a high priority when we go to God in prayer. Because in question 192 asks what it is that we pray for in the third petition, this is the answer the Westminster Larger Catechism gives. In the third petition, we acknowledge that by nature, we and all men are not only utterly unable and unwilling to know and do the will of God, but that we are also so prone to rebel against his word and to repine and murmur against his providence. And we are wholly inclined to do the will of the flesh and of the devil. And so we pray that God would, by his spirit, take away from ourselves and others all blindness, weakness, and perverseness of heart, and by his grace make us able and willing to know, do, and submit to his will in all things, with the same humility, cheerfulness, faithfulness, diligence, zeal, and sincerity as the angels do in heaven. We need to recognize this evening, congregation, that apart from the grace of God in Christ, the desires of our hearts will only plunge us further into the depths of hell. That's where our natural desires lead. That's, that's what awaits us at the end of the, of the my will be done tunnel. Eternal death, eternal weeping, and gnashing of teeth. And so the third petition summons us to be cognizant of the fact that from the moment we wake up in the morning to the moment we we go to sleep at night, we find ourselves entrenched in this spiritual battle. We find ourselves entrenched in this spiritual battle in which we are confronted with, with the temptation to go our own way at every possible turn. As we heard last time in Christ's call to take sides in the second petition, we're confronted with a very similar challenge here in the third petition. We're confronted with the challenge to recognize that our natural desires, that our stubborn wills need to be put to death. Our stubborn will needs to be put to death if God's will is to be done here in this place and in our homes and in our workplaces and in our schools as faithfully as it is in heaven. And that's what Jesus shows us here in his Sermon on the Mount at the end of of chapter 7 in Matthew's Gospel. As our Lord winds this sermon up with this final word of heart-piercing application, notice how he now turns from false prophets to false professors, from unsound teachers to unsound hearers. Although we recognize that much of this sermon was, of course, directed at at the false teachers, the scribes and, and Pharisees of his day, those false teachers who so twisted the message of salvation to a message of earning one's way into heaven. Here in verses 21 and following, Jesus has once again broadened his audience, saying, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only him who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
Yes, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do many works in your name? But then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. What Jesus is highlighting for us here is the sad reality that not everyone who, who professes Christ with their lips is actually true to him in their hearts. Perhaps such are some of us here in this place who, who pray the words of this petition with our lips, but, but who fail to put this word, this petition into practice. But if people really trust in Christ for salvation, writes one pastor, then their lives will no longer be self-centered. And if they belong to the good tree, then it will be made perfectly manifest by the fruit that they bear. In other words, if you're truly living this petition, then your friends and your neighbors and your co-workers shouldn't need a, a magnifying glass to see how sincere you are and praying and living that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so the day of judgment, says J.C. Ryle, will reveal strange things, won't it? For not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but only him who does the will of the Father in heaven. And with these words, the Lord Jesus is teaching his disciples the priority of the third petition. Because those who, who persist in living against the grain of this petition shall never enter the kingdom. And so we see the urgency in this petition just as we did with the last one. Because this petition, like the second petition, recognizes that, that nothing we do or say is, is hidden from God's sight. This petition bears witness that, that all men will indeed stand before the Holy One and, and give an account for all the deeds they have done in the body. And if we recognize that this petition, like the two petitions that preceded it, begins with us, help us as our catechism, this petition also has a view toward those who are still outside of God's kingdom. Help us and all people, our catechism says. Help us and all people to, to renounce our own wills and to obey your will, for it alone is good. Help everyone, our catechism says, to carry out his office and calling as willingly and faithfully as do the angels in heaven. And so we see that this is a petition with application not only for ourselves, but also for our neighbors and our co-workers, for our college professors and our civil leaders. For unless they too do the will of the Father, they shall never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so while it may perhaps seem like a minor, like a subtle point to make me to recognize that, that this petition, like the second petition, is indeed a, a gospel petition. It's a petition with, with a view towards the hard wills of stubborn sinners finally being softened by the grace and spirit of Christ. Its aim is that all people everywhere would come to confess that we confess that, that God's will alone is good. Its aim is that all people everywhere would come to know the blessing and joy of, of living for God's glory rather than for their own glory. As I said before, we, we need to see not only the priority of this petition, but also the pattern of this petition, which is the second thing we want to consider together this evening. What does living this petition look like? 
And this is where our Lord's instruction in Matthew 16, in connection with his own personal prayer in Matthew 26, is particularly helpful. After his confrontation with the Pharisees and Sadducees, and after Peter has, has now confessed him to be the Christ, the, the Son of God, you read in verse 21 of chapter 16 that from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. And suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. In the original Greek, the word used here for must indicates that which is a a divine necessity. He, He had to go. It was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem. It was necessary, boys and girls, because it was the will of his Father in heaven that he should suffer many things, that he should be crucified, that he should die, that he should be raised from the dead on the third day. Perhaps nowhere does Jesus reveal this reality to us so powerfully as in those moments with his father in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he he falls with his face to the ground, as he sweats as with drops of blood, as Luke tells us, and as he As he prays three times, he cries out to his father, let this cup pass from me. Let this cup pass from me. Let this cup pass from me. But then as he resolves, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. My father, if this cannot pass as I drink it, then your will be done. Boys and girls, the Bible tells us that this is the very reason for which Christ came into the world. Christ came into the world to to live this prayer, to to live this petition to the uttermost. Long before the Garden of Gethsemane, the prophet Isaiah had said that, that it was the will of the Lord to crush him. It was the will of the Lord that he should should bear the iniquities of us all. It was the will of the Lord that, that he should live to make intercession for the transgressors. And long before that, all the way from before the foundation of the world, we learn from the prophet Zechariah about the, the council of peace that was made between the Father and the Son, that, that he should be sent into the world to, to save this people for himself. And so he came, people of God, identifying himself as the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, saying in John 10, verse 17, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And so here in Matthew 16, we discover the the pattern of this petition, that, that this petition for God's will to be done on earth as is in heaven take shape in our lives in one way, in one way only, and that's by following in our Savior's steps. If anyone would come after me, said Jesus, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. John Calvin called self-denial the summary of the Christian life. No, the summary of the Christian life is not smooth sailing, but rather self-denial. 
The summary of the Christian life is to take up our crosses and and to follow in the steps of our Savior, to do as He did, to to travel along the your-will-be-done tunnel. Although we recognize that sometimes that tunnel can seem dark and scary amidst the trials and sufferings of this life, it is the only tunnel that has any light at the end of it. I couldn't help but wonder if the Apostle Peter perhaps had these words of his Savior in mind as he sought to encourage his persecuted brothers and sisters in the second chapter of his first epistle. If you know that letter well, then you'll note that Christians to whom Peter is writing are enduring suffering that is so intense that many are, are tempted to renounce the faith altogether. They live under the authority of, a, of an evil emperor who despises the church of Christ. And they live under unjust masters such that that some of them are, are sitting in the pews on Sunday morning with, with stripes on their backs, having been beaten the week before. But to these elect exiles, Pastor Peter writes these comforting yet immensely challenging words, for this is a gracious thing. This is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this suffering you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. That you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He continued entrusting himself to the perfect will of his Father in heaven. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. that We might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. I can't but wonder if these words in the back of Peter, in, in the back of his mind, these words of Jesus in Matthew 16... I think those words from Peter help us understand what Jesus is saying here. If anyone would would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. We recognize that following in our Savior's steps may cost us everything. It may cost us our very lives. But what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world but forfeit his own soul. Let us deny ourselves then and follow in his steps. This, boys and girls, is what we're praying for in the second petition. We're praying that God would help us to do this very thing, to deny ourselves, to renounce our own wills and to obey God's will, recognizing that it alone is good. This petition, you see, is not a a prayer for, for mere passive resignation. It's not a prayer that we would merely just grin and bear it, but rather it's a prayer for, for glad obedience. It's a prayer for, for joyful submission to the Father's will. It's a prayer that we would truly believe what our Catechism says, that, that God's will alone is good. It's a prayer that we would find our joy and sense of fulfillment not in following our own way, 
And not in saying my will be done, but that we would find our sense of joy and fulfillment in looking to God's heart and saying your will be done. The will of the Father, you see, is not to be a matter of mere drudgery or, or duty, but this prayer, this and living in light of this prayer, is to be our great delight. And so John Calvin, summarizing these first three petitions, writes that we are thus bidden to keep God's glory alone before our eyes. And thus may we testify and profess ourselves servants and children of God, zealously, truly, and deeply committed to the best of our ability to his honor. For this we owe to our Lord and Father. This we owe to our Lord and Father in everything we do and say that we should carry out our office and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels do in heaven. Such is the pattern of this petition. Notice finally tonight that although the pattern of this petition begins with, with denying ourselves and taking up a cross, and although the, the pattern of this petition involves the, all the sufferings that, that come with carrying that cross, it's a pattern that ends in glory. Listen again to what Jesus promised those who would follow him in this cross-bearing way. With, with the command to take up the cross, he affixed that enduring promise. That whoever would save his life will lose, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For even though taking up his own cross meant denying himself, even of life itself, Nevertheless, God was pleased to raise him from the dead and, and to highly exalt him and give him the name above every other name, Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. And this is the promise of the third petition. That as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, those who do the will of the Father shall enter the kingdom of heaven. The apostle Paul has said that if we share in Christ's sufferings, then we will also share in his glory, Romans eight seventeen. For you have died, says Paul, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Colossians 3, verses 3 and 4. Of course, he recognized that apart from his grace, he would never do the will of his, of, of our, of his Father. But as the address of this Lord's Prayer reminds us in Christ and by the power of his spirit who intercedes for us, his father has become our father. And by the spirit of adoption, he makes us willing. He makes us willing and ready from now on to live for him as we confessed all the way back in, in Lord's day one. And so people of God, when we see all that God has done for us, how can we not make Christ's resolve our own? When we consider how great his love is for us, how can we not renounce our own wills and trust that, that his will alone is truly good? When we behold Christ crucified and raised, how can we doubt this to be true? And so when we pray for the will of the Father to be done on earth as is in heaven, we're confessing our confidence that Father knows best. That God's way is better than our way. That God's plans are better than our plans. When the believer prays these words, he does so in light of the promise that whoever 
or renounce his own, or whoever will, will lose his life in that way will find it. In his astounding grace and mercy, God shows us where our own wills would otherwise lead us. And he reorients us again and again to see that his will is far better. And he, and he trains us to, to mean those words that we sang, and your commandments make me walk. For in your law my joy shall be. Give me a heart that loves your will. From discontent and envy free. And so we likewise sing with all our hearts, take my life. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thine own. It shall be your royal throne. This congregation is what our Lord has taught us to pray for. He grant us the grace to live what we pray and to follow in his steps, every step of the way. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come before you and pray that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray for that confessing, Lord, that in many ways that's a hard petition for us to pray because we often love to follow our own will. And we often love to go our own way. And at times we find the cross too heavy to bear. And at times we find it too difficult to deny ourselves because we love to to give ourselves all the pleasures of our heart's desires. But Lord, teach us that the tunnel of my will be done ends in death. And teach us, Lord, to bear our crosses willingly and gladly to make your will our own. Father, we thank you for a Savior who lived what he prayed and who lived what he taught, whose walk was in harmony with his talk. We thank you, O Lord, that he was willing to obey your will, even when doing so meant drinking from the cup of your wrath and drinking it to the dregs. That he, knowing it was the will of the Lord to crush him, came down from heaven nevertheless to save sinners. Father, may we learn from him and say that in him your will alone is good. We pray in his name and for his sake. Amen.